Father God, this sermon, it starts and ends with the gospel, and so does life and creation itself. It starts and ends with you. We thank you for what you've shared with us. We humbly, we thankfully, we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be together, isn't it? So I'm fresh. I should, uh, if I get a week vacation between every time I preach, this is going to be a good, good rhythm. Uh, though I know that's not reality. <laughs> Dave's going, yup. <laughs> but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share what God's put on my heart. Um, thank you today for preaching last week for that break. Appreciate that. We spent September going over Acts chapter 1. This transition between the gospel and how then we shall now live as a church. We spent October and now into November looking into chapters 2 through 5, looking at what was this church, what did it look like? Hopefully we look like it too, otherwise something's off, right? And let's go to this next slide. I got a picture there for you. So we're driving through Wisconsin on our our, uh, vacation and just taking it easy, looking at the trees, um, asking questions. The main thing was just to be together with my wife, <laughs> have some time to chat. And she asked me a great question amongst all of our random questions. She said, she said if, if Jesus were to be the guest preacher at, your, at Faith Baptist, what do you think he'd say? I, well, that's a great question. I thought about it and initially thought, however I answer that, that should be my next sermon, right? If I'm convinced Jesus has a message for our church, if he was here and his heart yearned to tell us something, I should probably share that too. And so then I started to pray as I drove. And this is what came to mind. It's a story. Jesus tells it as a parable. It shows up in the Old Testament as well as a story. And it's a story of a generous man who sees a starving community. This picture, uh, can't quite see it, but out in the trees, there's a small village. And this generous man sees a starving community and decides he wants to share with them. And so he builds on the edge of town a nice field, a farm. He builds some homes there and hires some of the locals to work the farm, brings in great equipment, top-of-the-line equipment, to get the job done. And he goes on to be generous in other places of the world as well. But when he comes back to revisit this farm that was built to feed this community, he noticed as he walked through the village on the way to the farm that the people were still starving and the people were still dying. And he gets to the farm and the field is bigger somehow. It had enough to get the job done, but now field has been put, added to field. And some of these homes are even bigger, but they didn't stay on mission. They didn't do the sharing that was in the heart of that man who started this whole thing. I believe that Faith Baptist is on the edge of a town, is it not? Planted as a field. Meant to feed the spiritual starvation 
of Hampton, Franklin County. That's our own backyard and beyond. We're meant to share because it's in God's nature of who he is. As he created the world, he brought something out of nothing. A theology textbook would call this God being generative. It means he can generate something out of nothing. It's who he is. He creates life. He wants to give. He breathes breath into the life of mankind for every new baby born, another soul into the world. And he wants to share that. He created that. He sustains that. He brought redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for that. To guarantee that for our future. I believe this is really core to what we're called to as a church. And it started long before the church was commissioned in Acts chapter 2. We'll go to Isaiah here. God's people were always meant to bring this. As Adam and Eve were created to steward the garden, to be good stewards on the farm, to take care of it. It was an entrustment. And they blew it. And as the nation of Israel was born with Abraham, he was called to as he was called, he was called that he would be blessed so that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He was blessed to be a blessing. And Israel blew it. At one point in the life of Israel, God shares with Isaiah the same story. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, he tells this story of, I've, I've built my farm. I've planted a vineyard plowed the land, I cleared its stones, its fertile soil, it can get the job done. I put the best vines on it. I even built a watchtower, I carved a wine press from the nearby rocks, and then I waited for that harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were only bitter. Verse 3. Now, he says, help me make sense of this. Judge between me and this farm. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I've not already done? Verse 5. Maybe it's now. Okay. Next slide, please. 7. Thank you. He gets to the heart of the matter. He says, The nation of Israel was this farm and this vineyard. So God's people was meant to do this. And God expects a crop of justice. Instead, he often finds oppression. He expects righteousness. But instead, he often finds violence. And in the next chapter of Isaiah 6, yeah, and then, yeah, you can go to that next verse, sorry. And eight, this warning now to the people of God, what sorrow for you who buy up house after house, field after field, until everyone else is evicted and you are left alone in the land. And so then in chapter 6, God commissions Isaiah, saying, go, I'm sending you now. Get the people of God back on track to why I planted them there in the first place. That is the message I believe Jesus would share with us today. And I don't say that because I think we're failing at that. I say that because I believe that it is so close to Jesus' heart with the remaining time that we have left.
Brad, would you come up now? We're going to, that, that was all an intro, all right? I'm ready to go. Our main passage is out of chapter 4 and 5 of Acts. Yeah, we'll find you one here. Brad's one of our six elders at the church. And glad to have you share the word. All right, this is a great Sunday. We have a great opportunity to share as we uh, partake in a meal together later. And uh, as I reflected on that word sharing, I thought of uh, just my childhood and how most of us are raised with the idea that sharing is uh, something we're instructed to do. Um, we weren't supposed to just uh, keep everything for ourselves. If we had a toy, we had a snack, or whatever, we were, had a friend, we were supposed to share with that friend. And uh, I think as we grow up, um, we think about why don't we share more? What keeps me, myself, from sharing as I should? I think a tendency, just in my um, pride and selfishness and sometimes greed, is that my hands are not open as they should. More I'm given, and I close my hands in a fist. Now hang on to things more than I should. And I don't think God wants us to live that way. I think he wants us to live with an open hand where our hand is willing to share what's been placed in our hand. We uh, came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave this world with nothing. And so what's been given us is here for a purpose. I don't think it's always just for us to hang on to these things tightly, but to open our hands and to share it with others. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 32 and learn a little bit about some sharing that went, took place in the early church with Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 32 says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of, Israel, of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, what was the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Thank you, Brad. Whew, a little weighty at the end there, isn't it? Let me, let me put this in context for us. So we see this theme of sharing developing through Acts. And it starts in chapter 2 where we see the theme of how they're called to do this. 
And so in Acts 2, 42, we've looked at this every week in the last month and a half, all right? So if you missed a Sunday, here it is again, all right? We've covered all of these, teaching, fellowship, prayer, and now the sharing. And these believers were devoted to this. This is what this community looked like and what it felt like as the Spirit of God was truly in their life. This is what it looked like as it outpoured out of them. And then continuing on in Acts chapter 2, it's this, this wheel. You almost see it work together. As people come into the fellowship and then they start to grow in the teaching and then they go out and share and serve and doing all of these things under the guidance of a prayerful heart. We see that cycle of a disciple. These aren't elective classes, okay? As a church, it's not like, hey, I want to get a major in prayer, but I'm going to go minor on the other ones, okay? It's not, it's not elective classes, okay? As we think about maturity as a follower of Christ, we don't say, well, I'm going I'm to major in teaching. I don't really care about God's bride, the local church, and I don't really care about sharing with the world around me. I'll minor in those or maybe skip them, but man, I just love God's word. No. And you can't major in, in prayer, claim you have fellowship with the Spirit, and not also go major on these other things. If we're going to major on being a disciple of Christ in our life, it's, it's everything. It's Acts 2.42. The rest of Acts chapter 2, in that same section, mentions this. It says that deep awe came over them all as the apostles performed miraculous signs and wonders. The believers, they met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold property, possessions, and shared the money with those in need. This was a continuous thing. That word shared, it's in the continuous form of the verb. So they continued to do it as someone might have need. It was a way of life. They are taking care of each other. This was something they were majoring on. It was not an elective. They worshiped together at the temple day, each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We see a lot of those components working together in fellowship and God's word and prayer and sharing. And then chapter 4, I believe, it starts to clarify what this true sharing looked like and what it felt like. And so we'll go to our first verse, 32. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind. They were majoring on fellowship. They were together in this thing. They were one body. The left hand suffers, the right hand applies the band-aid, right? It's one body. You help each other. And it says, and they felt that they owned what they owned was not their own. What do we have that we have not received, as the scripture says? It's not our own. It's a stewardship. And so they shared everything that they had. Continuing on. The apostles testified powerly, powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy, needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. And then finally, for instance, for example, 
Again, what does this practically look like, Pastor? Well, we get this guy named Joseph who gets the nickname Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement. Ain't that a way to be, have as a reputation? Man, whenever he's around, we are just encouraged. He, it's as if he shares the life of God with those around them. It says he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned, brought the money to the apostles. He was very generous. It's okay to acknowledge good examples like this. A lot more is caught than taught sometimes. The rest of Acts shows this guy that continues to serve powerfully. Next week, we're going to do a portrait of a disciple. Actually, we're going to do that for the next month or so. Each of these next chapters, it shows, highlights, what's this really look like practically? What do these disciples really look like? What does this look like in a life incarnate? But going on, let's look at what it does not look like. Now here's another man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. What's going on here? Did he have to give the whole amount? Well, later on, we'll see no. So what's he after? Is he really after true service? He's doing it for show. He wants to fit in and follow the crowd. He wants that reputation, that praise. We'll see later on. His wife comes in later, after the thing had been given. What's she even doing there? Time for the pat on the back. So, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? A few verses prior to this, it says that the people of God were praying that they might be faithfully sharing God's word and love with the world and that the place shook and they were filled with the Spirit. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And here, Peter's saying, Ananias, this doesn't look like the Spirit of God in your life, buddy. This looks like a different kind of influence that is driving you. That is driving your craving and your passion and your action and your life. Your heart is somewhere else. And he refused to acknowledge that. He refused to acknowledge that. Peter says, You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property, it was yours to sell or not sell as you wished, right? And after selling it, the money was yours to give away or not give away, right? How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. That's where our eyes are supposed to be. The early church, it wasn't perfect. And it isn't now. People of God, they've seen this happen time and time again. As Joshua was leading the people in the Old Testament to take and conquer new land that God had called them to go take, there was a man named Achan who stole some money that they were supposed to get rid of. And he hid it, and he lied, and he deceived those around them. And the people of God, they lost their peace and they lost their power. They kept getting beat back by a town named Ai. And God told Joshua, there's sin in the camp.
beautiful it is when we can be transparent with one another. That leads us to be transparent with ourself. Oh, how easily the heart is deceived. And then we can be transparent to God and say, God, fill me with your spirit. Lord, every part of me that keeps me from fellowship with you, Lord, take it away. I had a phone call this last week with one of my accountability partners. I've been walking with him for a couple years. We do phone calls quite often. and He celebrated this last week. He goes, it's been a year with no lust, no pornography. Like, All right, man. And the other guys on the call, we said, what made the difference for you? We've been tracking with them. Fall down, get back up, walk with Christ. What made the difference for you? He said, I reached out every day in transparency and honesty on these calls. That's what made the difference. I respect that a ton. Peace and power follows that. And our eyes are up there saying, God, as Dave mentioned last week, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's Psalm 139 ends. There's power and peace in that. It takes courage to be a true disciple of Christ. It takes commitment to lean into the fellowship and the teaching and the prayer and the sharing. But when that wheel is turning, Satan better watch out. The gates of hell don't stand a chance at prevailing against the church when we submit to the Lord in his ways. So true service, what does it actually look like? True sharing. Here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. I brought him up two weeks ago. He was a pastor during World War II in Nazi Germany against terrible opposition. He thought long and hard, what does it mean to be the church in Nazi Germany? (laughs) He gave his life for that. He was killed in a concentration camp. But he didn't stop doing these things. And he discusses true service. And to start off, this is my paraphrase. I added some stuff in here, but it's still coming from his thought here. He writes a chapter in this book called Service. And in that chapter, he got me thinking on this. And often we can think we are serving when in fact we are taking. And how do you know? How do you know that? Instead of loving God and loving others, we're actually self-justifying ourselves before God and self-promoting ourselves before others. We're using people. Ananias and Sapphira, they were self-promoting themselves. They were self-justifying themselves. Instead of receiving the blood of Jesus Christ as the final word on their standing before God and the final word on their standing before one another, we are in Christ Jesus. 
in His fellowship, our sin is washed away. It is about loving God and loving others, not being lovers of ourselves. So here's some steps that he mentions. He gives four of them for true service. He says, first, listen. You claim you want to serve someone? Listen to them. Just as God offers his ear to us, we are to offer our ear to one another. And he, even here in 1940s, he said Christians are bad at this. We often talk past others when we should be listening. He warns that those who talk past others without listening to them is just a step away from talking past God and not listening to Him. Pretty soon they have no time to listen because they are enraptured in their own thoughts and their own plans and their own purposes. This is my philosophy of leadership as soon as I got here was listen first. And then lead from there. Because the true heart is to serve one another. Rather than making dinner and saying, you better eat this. And guys, how's your health? <laughs> what do we need? True service starts with listening. And then second, he mentions it's active helpfulness. You begin to respond in helpful ways, tangible ways. Ways that can be seen. How have you helped someone in the last week, tangibly? That you didn't get a paycheck for? That you didn't scratch their back and they scratched yours? How did you really serve someone with true service this week? The way that God gives. Third mentions bearing with others. This means it gets messy. As a pastor I know who says, being a shepherd of a church, remember that sheep bite. <laughs> okay? Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Taking on one another's burdens, as the Scripture calls it. That's part of a heart that's truly wanting to serve. Rather than taking offense, it says, I'm trying to serve. And lastly, says, when these things are clicking, then the Word of God can be spoken in power. Because we're not just teaching what Jesus taught, but we're doing what Jesus did. Some clues of false service would be taking offense if someone doesn't like the way you serve them. <laughs> How dare they not like the way I did a sermon? Are you here to serve or not, Rob? Yeah, good point. Or how dare they don't like what I cooked for them? Are we serving or not? Doesn't mean they have the final say as to what's best for them. We look to God's word for that. But yeah, our ego can pop up pretty quick. Or how about this one? Not feeling appreciated or recognized. I wonder if someone else sold a field and why did Barnabas get his name in there? I sold two fields. <laughs> no. That's not true service. But often when we don't get recognized, someone else takes the credit. Whoa, what's going on? There's the self-justifying. There's the self-promoting. 
We're being a lover of self rather than a lover of God and of people. Let's go to the next slide, please. So after this event, great fear gripped the entire church. Everyone else who heard what had happened. This fear of undealt with sin. This fear of just putting on a mask. There's some good things to be afraid of. Especially the things that just kill and corrupt and destroy. That fear keeps us away from them. The hot stove. I don't want to touch that. Snakes. Yikes. I hate snakes. My mom shared a story when we were kids. We lived out in an acreage with fields and a lot of black snakes would come through the yard. And her little babies are out playing in the grass. So she said she'd do the dishes, she'd watch the kids, and as soon as she'd see one, <laughs> she had mama instinct. She'd go out there and she'd cut the head off of that thing. <laughs> you, don't go through my t- you don't go near my toddler, right? She doesn't get all chummy-chummy. Be like, oh, isn't that great? No. Sin is like a serpent. It's going to bite. Don't let that thing in your house. Let's work with the Spirit of God to be honest with Him. Of, Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. All right, let's get to chapter 6 now. What does this look like? We talked about how we're called to serve. We talked about what true service looks like. It looks a lot like Christ who gave Himself on the cross. And then how do we do this together? Well, pretty soon, and maybe right now, some of y'all got to leave to go help with the turkeys, all right? This was a picture taken this week of about 10 ladies in there serving, doing it together. And let's go to chapter 6. Here's an example of service. It says that the believers, they were rapidly multiplying, and there were rumblings of discontent. Again, the church doesn't always get it right. Here's another example. The Greek-speaking believers complained that the Hebrew-speaking believers, about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. I don't think there was any ill will there, but there was some neglect. There were some underserved people. I believe the Spirit of Christ says, listen to this. There's needs. Verse 2. So, The twelve disciples called a meeting of the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God. Can't run this food program. So brothers, select seven men who are well respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Next verse. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, so they chose the following. These seven men, including Stephen, who we'll see in a few weeks. They entrusted them to help with this. Later on, the scripture starts using a term called deacons, which literally is the word servant. It's meant to be done together, right? We're on the family farm here. Everybody chipping in. And then we get to the last verse here, which is not just the last verse of this little section, but it rounds out this whole section from chapter 2 all the way here to 6 verse 7. It's one of the summary statements. 
There's seven summary statements in Acts. This is the end of the summary statement. It says that the seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. They were called to go to their own backyard first. The Great Commission is to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They start in Jerusalem. And it says right here that Jerusalem was taken over with the gospel. It's their own backyard. You know how crazy it is to walk by a bunch of starving people to water and feed others? Or imagine going to your neighbor's house or down the block to water some plants and you walk by all the dead rows right next to your house. Take care of what's right in front of you, church. I believe that's what Jesus would say. Take care of your family. You're the one mom and the one dad those kids got. You're the one spouse your partner has. You're the one uncle. You're the one grandparent. Well, maybe two grandparents. But still a big responsibility. Take care of the household God has given you. Take care of this body. Take care of the small group you're in. Take care of those kids that are also on your soccer team and their families that are also in your class, your block, your street, your division at work. God's called you there. Starts there. It's easy. We are called to go to the ends of the earth. Don't use that as an excuse to not go right here. Next slide, please. So, sharing, serving. We elect eight deacons as servants to lead some teams around here. We invest in our children and our youth. We invest in adult discipleship and evangelism and reaching out to our community and to the world. Assimilation and our fellowship, our worship and our prayer, our facility and finance. Ah, It's not fiancé. Finance. (laughs) Those are our eight eight deacons. And they lead teams. And they're not necessarily going to go out and and tap you on the shoulder and say, you want to serve? You got to come to them and say, hey, God has shared with me and I want to share with others now. That's what it's all about. It ends with the gospel. So that wheel, we call it connect, connect in the fellowship of Christ and his church. We call it grow, grow in the teaching of God's word. We call it go, and we can call it serve in the sharing the Spirit's gifts to us. Connect, grow, serve. You know, 20 years ago, this church started those words. They called it connect, grow, share. Right? Let's major in all three. This isn't the new young kid's idea on stage, okay? This is what you've come up with. And I believe, I bet when that was come up, somebody was reading Acts 2.42. 
when they got this idea of doing these things, putting it all in prayer. So if you're looking at this and you're saying, look, I'd love, Pastor, to give more, but quite honestly, I'm sick of being told to give more. I got nothing left. My boss needs more. My property taxes need more. <laughs> My kids need more. I just, Rob, I don't, I don't have it. You can find that margin. The very beginning, and connect with Christ. Saying, God, fill my needs. Bless me so I can be a blessing to others. Be my source of living water so that from me streams of living water can come out of my life. Let your light shine through me so that a world in darkness can see you. Over these next worship songs, sit with God. Let him share with you. He's a father that wants to give good gifts to his children. Sit with him in these next moments. Let him speak to you. Let him reassure your heart. Tell him where your need is. Tell him where the darkness is. Tell him where the loneliness is. Tell him where the fears are. Let him be your rock and your source. And then as we finish our last song, as we pray for the food, go be like your dad in heaven. I remember one Christmas, my grandfather gave us kids a gift. And I told him the next time I saw him, I said, I regifted it. <laughs> gave it to someone else in the church. He goes, Really? I go, Yeah, I want to be like you, Grandpa. Our life is about regifting what we have been given. In case you wonder if you'll run out, if you'll have nothing left, just remember, God is a God who creates something out of nothing. He doesn't run out. He was the uncaused first cause at the beginning of time who created the sun and the stars. Creation in its magnificence and vastness as well as it's just immense complexity and intricacy he can create something out of nothing as a cistern that doesn't leak won't run out draw from that well in these songs worship team can come up let's pray lord we want to be like you and to do that first, we have to know you. We have to connect with you. We have to grow in you. And then and only then can we serve with you. Holy Spirit, reside in this place. Help us listen to what you would want to speak to us in these moments. In Jesus' name. Amen.